people are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives probably, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles and a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Everywhere you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles, that Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want. Another Kind of Mind, a different kind of Beatles podcast by Another Kind of Mind. Hello and welcome to Through the Another Kind of Mind Lens, a look at the Beatles. Hey, 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 that's my oh. line. That's my line, Sam. <laughs> sorry. Are we not on Paul or nothing? I'm awfully sorry. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Through the Acom Lens, a look at the Beatles on film. Today we're talking about the greatest romances of rock and roll in the form of two made-for-television movies, John and Yoko, A Love Story from 1985 and The Linda McCartney Story from the year 2000. We'll discuss the Paul and Linda movie first, then the John and Yoko one, and then we'll compare the two. Cool, yeah, sure. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited to be here on the show, representing <laughs> my gender. Uh, I've got so much to say. I've got, I've got 22 pages of notes here. I believe you do. I believe you do. I'm so excited about it. So, Sam, you and I both watched Linda McCartney movie first. So let's go ahead and talk about our reactions. Reactions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just in general, what was your, what are your initial thoughts about it? Um, equally frustrating and entertaining, I mm-hmm. guess, would be uh, the first thing to take away from this. I think... Um, it's definitely not designed for Beatle Ubermensch fans in <laughs> any way. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're here to play Spot the Mistake with your Lewis and, you know, bingo book in hand, then you're certainly going to get your kicks in that sense. But um, the thing that I found most shocking in, in terms of the Linda McCartney story, this is a film that was uh, produced, I'm guessing, around 99, released in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And it does not look at all like anything from that decade it this is 90s production design 90s lighting mm. 90s framing it's shockingly uncinematic and i think a lot of this is down to the crew that worked on this film so the belinda mccartney movie was directed by armand maestroni he actually has seven upcoming projects on imdb so this guy is more than prolific he was a cheap horror film director who started off with a film mm-hmm. called he knows you're alone in 1980 and then before this film came out he had about 60 credits already and you can tell it's a very workmanlike movie it's yeah. you know you point the camera at poor linda while while they're talking or kissing or having a picnic or something right right and then you cut to the next shot of them kissing or having a picnic or something. There's not a lot of autorial or artistic flair here. But where there is some interesting 
behind the scenes crew work is probably in the writing and the teleplays by Christine Berardo or Berardo. She doesn't have many credits, but she was the main story editor on seasons five and six of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Oh, nice, uh, nice. Very good. She based the book on Danny Field's biography from 2000 titled Linda McCartney, A Portrait. And if you notice, we do get a cameo in the movie quite oh uh, a few times from uh, Danny Field. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and claim that I wouldn't be inserting myself into the Beatles story if I didn't have some sort of, you know, loose connection to them. But uh, it does get quite funny when the writer's name in this film gets brought up so many times. <laughs> Danny Field is like a prominent character in like the uh, first act of this movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely uh, some self-insertion of the highest order, though I'd, I don't know how much I'd want to be attached to the writing of this movie in particular. Um, I know how all cinema features dialogue that no one actually says in real life. Look at any Scorsese or Tarantino sure. movie. That, that's not how people talk. But if you can think that or notice that, Whilst in the middle of the movie, whilst you're meant to be suspending disbelief, it's not a good sign because no one in the Linda McCartney story <laughs> speaks in a natural manner. <laughs> it's very distracting. It's very, very distracting. Also, I thought it was quite interesting how little behind the scenes uh, interference there was from the McCartney estate for this doesn't, film. Doesn't look like they were involved at all. Yeah, I'm not obviously we're not going to get into comparison straight away, but one of the things that was quite obvious is that there is not <laughs> anyone from MPL or Apple signing off on a soundtrack or anything like that. All we get in the Linda McCartney story is the Fab Four doing covers of Beatle tracks. We get no actual Beatle songs in this at all. Uh, they do I Wanna Hold Your Hand twice, please please me once. And then Kansas City, kind of semi-live. I don't think they even do Kansas City, hey, 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 because that might need a Beatle credit again. So they might get around it in that way. But it's not just Beatles that have uh, fake music in this movie. We do get one other song from a real <laughs> artist uh, in the club scene. We do get Yeah, Yeah yep. by Georgia Fame and the Blue Flames. Not a Beatles song, but it's nice to hear anyway. I was in fits, absolute fits during the, uh, the Doors uh, gig scene, not because of the scene that followed with Linda and <laughs> Jim Morrison <laughs> in in the church. We'll get to this, folks. Don't worry. Um, but live, there's a song playing, and I mean, I I spent most of my week re researching these two movies. Going, is that <laughs> is that a real song? Is that a real song? <laughs> and on the soundtrack for this, it's listed as "Back Door" by a tribute band called Peace Frog. Oh wow, which, that's absolutely fantastic. Shall we get into Linda herself, Elizabeth Mitchell? Um, I don't know where you may have known her from. All I know her is as Angela Jolie's girlfriend in Gaia from 1998. Mm. Yeah, that I think that was her main claim to fame uh, around this time. I know her from Lost, but that obviously came like five-ish years later. So oh, it's funny. I asked my friends who absolutely detest my love of Paul McCartney. I went, guys, I need your help. Was she big in Lost? And regrettably, apparently she was quite a big character. So, yeah, no, I did watch Lost, but I haven't seen that Gaia movie. Well, uh, let's let's just say I've Googled certain scenes 
from I, that movie. I, that's and not I shocking. Get... <laughs> I believe that. What do you think about the idea of casting a hip it girl as Linda, though? I think it's quite a shrewd move uh, in kind of redressing the balance, really. Like, I, I like the idea that subconsciously through this casting, you are being told cool, sexy with it. It, 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 it works, I think. I have sort of mixed feelings about it. I mean, it was an interesting casting choice. Um, I don't think it was too much of a glow up because Elizabeth Mitchell is a lovely woman, but she's not, um, you know, she's not Miss America. So I I didn't think it Mm -hmm. was reaching too far in terms of like they made her too pretty or anything. They don't really look alike other than being, you know, like 30 year old white ladies with blonde hair. (laughs) They don't really look alike at all. Um, No, uh, come on. When she got the shorter hair later on, she did start looking more like Linda, I thought. And it touches on the conversation you and me have had before about how John, Paul, Yoko, they've got these Halloween costume iconic silhouettes to them. Linda doesn't have that really. So... I guess anyone portraying her would have a harder time in convincing anyone. You know, it's like when Naomi Watts played Diana and it's like, you don't look like Diana. Sorry, well, this doesn't work. And I don't mind that so much. Like, you don't have to look exactly like the celebrity you're portraying, in my opinion, as long as you get their mojo. Like, that's way mm. more important than looking like a dead ringer for that celebrity, you know? Um, that's why it's fucking acting and not just like a impersonator who comes to a birthday party or something oh, like that's the uh, difference, uh, right? Don't get me wrong. The best portrayal of Bob Dylan is by Kate Blanchett. So absolutely. I, felt, absolutely. I agree with you there. Yeah. But um like we're really getting into the portrayal here. I felt like Elizabeth Mitchell's portrayal, I just felt like it it wasn't really representative of Linda. Mm-hmm. I felt like she was charming, which I think Linda was, but not in the same way, kind of, you know, like Elizabeth Mitchell's was like very pulled together and professional and decisive and whatever, especially her early, you know, her pre-Paul era where she was a single (laughs) mom and stuff. Whereas Linda was more, Linda was a bit of a fuck up, you know what I mean? Like a rebel and mm-hmm. you know doing things her own way where you didn't really get that from elizabeth mitchell like elizabeth mitchell looked like she had just been plucked out of the 90s and she was like a modern woman and she like a executive like she looked like a sort of a business executive type lady and that wasn't linda you know what i mean like mm-hmm. linda's whole thing was that she, although she was groomed for that she was rebelling against it you know and being a photographer was a rebellion. Getting divorced was a rebellion. Living on her own with her daughter was a rebellion. Listening to rock and roll was a re- like all of that was going against her family's issues. A super nonconformist. The other thing about Linda was that she was a slob. You know, that's kind of the allure of her. And when you read Danny Field's book, mm-hmm. which I have read. Um, that early period of her before she marries Paul, he like he interviewed a lot of rock stars. She knew a lot of rock stars and they were all kind of um, enamored of her and they all really liked her because she was a down ass bitch. Yeah, but you can tell like throughout the entire movie that the director and the writer 
struggle to convey the otherworldly attraction of Linda because in film, a visual medium, you can only ever portray it as they thought Linda was pretty. And it's like, that's not what it was at all. She's not cool enough in this movie, I guess would be the, yeah. the real phrase. Like the lack of joint smoking in this was For woeful. real. Woeful. Right. Well, it, it was a real failure of portrayal because her personality didn't really come through. Again, the portrayal was an ambitious photographer who was who was making a good career for herself. And, and Lynn is very clear that like she wasn't overly concerned with creating a big career for herself. Like she did it because it was fun because she's an artist. Mm-hmm. That's what she was. She was never interested in having like having a huge professional career. And if she was, then there would be like, that would be an issue. There would be a lot of explaining to do. None of which is explored in this movie, by the way. But like, No, but come on, you can contrast that against Paul so easily and have a dynamic, a back and forth, a drama. But... Oh, no, there's none of that. There's none, none, of, none that. of that at all. And like talking about missed opportunities, where is the tough bitch battle axe scene where someone's trying to get close to Paul and Linda yeah, rips seriously. them to shreds. Come there, there, on. None of that? that. None of that. I kind of saw what was attractive about her because, you know, there are a couple of scenes during their courtship period or whatever, where she's like, come on, let's go out and enjoy the sunshine or whatever. <laughs> um, so let's, you have, do- let's have eight picnics. Yeah, exactly. There's like picnics. There's a scene where she's looking out the window and going, this reminds me of Arizona. I love horses or whatever. And you're like, okay. So she, she likes nature and she smiles a lot. Like I felt like her whole character was just smiling all the time, which again is not accurate. Ever since uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakened uh, came out, the analysis of female characters kind of took on a bit more uh, clarity shall we say and the phrase mary sue started being banded about left right and center the idea that you have this female protagonist that is totally without flaw never comes into conflict with anything and is always proven right and i wouldn't say this is totally that but it it leans towards that idea that the script is totally in linda's favor here there's there's never anything that's going to remotely do any disservice to her the 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 production clearly is tiptoeing the fact that it's not an official product i guess and um well and to an extent you kind of know that going in right it's a made for tv of the week movie you know you're not getting anything hard hitting this woman just died and we're just gonna tell her we're gonna tell you how awesome she was so you kind of expect that but again, if you're going to tell me how awesome she is, I want you to show me how awesome she is and why. And they didn't do that at all. Like they just showed her being cute and smiling all the time. And the other thing is that the Paul character was a pissy pants bitch face the whole time. Oh, let's get on to, let's like, get on to Paul. The, the Paul character is just walking around mm, all the time, which is not him at all. Like, and everybody knows that mm-hmm. to a ridiculous degree, like to, to a cliche degree. And I'm not, I don't mean to dump on this screenwriter because look, somebody clearly called her up and was like, can you do us a script real quick of Linda McCartney? And she's like, who? She just quickly wrote this up. Like, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm assuming, having watched the movie, I'm assuming that that's what happened, right? 
Um, well, having watched the movie, you would assume that there are only two facts about Linda's life. She lived, she died. Like, pretty, that's it. Pretty much, pretty much. There's no character development in here at all. Before we rip into uh, Gary Bakewell's performance and portrayal of Paul McCartney here, can we, can we just talk about the narrative structure here? The idea that this is a movie that flits between the past narrative of Linda and Paul's love, great stuff, very expected, and then very randomly and then increasingly uh, with yeah. frequency as the movie goes on, we cut forward to what we're going to call the short hair years where Linda's got her cancer diagnosis and we're moving through all the treatment and recovery efforts. Yeah. And could you imagine if in Titanic, every 10 minutes, they just cut to footage of the ship sinking and then we <laughs> cut back to Rose and Jack and their whirlwind romance. It felt really distasteful, if I'm honest. Like, what? Mm. The most important thing this great woman ever did was die of cancer. It felt really, really mismanaged to me. I didn't like it at all. How do you feel about that formula in general? Um, As long as the opening scene isn't someone in a police station saying, well, let me tell you how I got here. <laughs> not, I can normally get behind it, but um, you, you've got to have a contrast worth exploring. Like, well, the for only, sure. The only thing that the the Linda death scenes did really was, uh, you know, go for the heartstrings in classic Americana fashion. Like, make sure you look after your dad when I'm gone, Billy <laughs> yes. Bob, Billy Joe. <laughs> Come closer. <laughs> And like, and look, am I going to sit here and say it didn't get me and I didn't shed a tear and punch myself in the face for being <laughs> so emotional afterwards? Of course not. Like, it did get me, but. Well, that, what I was going to say is uh, I actually thought those were the best, the best scenes of the movie. And no, between I her and her children best scenes of the film I, like i'm not saying they were good i'm saying that i think they were the most successful here's something that i'm sure you experienced this as well so i this was not the first time i've seen this movie like i've i had seen this movie a long time ago but i haven't seen it in a very long time um i know too much now <laughs> you know i'm sure you feel the same way when i first saw it i was a little like oh, did that happen? You know what I mean? And now I know way <laughs> too much. Now I was like in the opening scene at the gallery or whatever, I was like, wait, is that, wait, is that supposed to, you know, oh. I'm in way too deep now. The one place where I don't have a lot of intimate knowledge is in terms of Linda's treatment and her illness. And like, I just mm -hmm. don't have those details because I don't think anybody has those details. Um, they're not in Danny's book that I recall. Again, again, just before we get into Paul, can we just talk about Linda's sex life in the first 10 minutes of this movie? Because coding is very important in movies about how characters are presented. Mm -hmm. And in a male movie, say American Pie, the conquest of the opposite sex is easily presented to an audience, whether it's jumping in the air freeze frame or high-fiving the dudes or just smash cut to him next day at work whistling. These are very obvious tropes, but there aren't many ways for women to be presented in that same way. And I wanted to know if you felt like it was portrayed 
uh, in a kind of a, a conquering I've caught this man kind of fashion or if you felt like it presented Linda as a bit of a a wayward soul at this point <laughs> you know shall we say yeah that's a great question um and uh you're right there's not a great deal of examples to rely upon in terms of um presenting this kind of a female hero like there mm-hmm. there just aren't it's it's um especially you know in the traditional sort of TV movie format, um, female sexuality is very, even in 1999, is not usually championed in, in this way. Um, I think they did a great job. I mean, you, you can tell like this is definitely why they got a woman to write this script because a man would fumble the ball. No offense to men, but like mm. it's, a, it's a hard task, you know? So yeah, I thought they did a really a really good job. And actually, I felt in Danny Field's book, she came off really, really well, too. First of all, I think she's awesome <laughs> for going out and like, you know, nailing all these rock stars. Like, awesome. Good for her. Um, and it was treated in the movie more or less like it's like she treated it, too, which is that she was just having a good time, you know. And I liked that they didn't fall into any weirdness about male beetle writers traditionally like they described her as a groupie mm-hmm. which um obviously is super problematic and degrading and you know implies all kinds of fucked up things about sexuality female sexuality whatever but also it just sort of implies that you're doing it for some other reason other than mm-hmm. just enjoying the sex part um which is really problematic and reveals a lot about the men who write that kind of stuff (laughs) um just their sort of inability to imagine that a woman is just actually finding sex pleasurable like that says a lot about you but but that and and that she's conquering Mick Jagger and that she's conquering Jim Morrison not the other way around but she's not really conquering them she's just they're just like hey you want to fuck and she's like sure I guess, I guess, I, it, again, it's 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 just the language of cinema and it's so restrictive, especially when you've got a very hilarious over-the-top Mick Jagger going, I want to fuck you, you know. Well, that, I mean, you know, you just kind of putting words in his mouth, but like that uh, seemed realistic enough to me. What's, what's Mick Jagger going to say? He's not going to start quoting Chaucer or something. He's going to no. be like, want to bang, you know, like that seems pretty accurate. It's very much like the uh, John Lennon blowjob stories, isn't it? Uh, oh my God, the the confidence is absolutely unempathetic. <laughs> I cannot believe people. Yeah, I mean, that. he's crazy. you know he's a rock star. Can't quite figure you out, you American girls. Uh huh. I want to f- you. When? Now. But um, why? Well, how did you take them? Um, I felt I, I felt it was it was slightly strange the opening ten minutes. Just again, just in in terms of the male gaze and the perspective of the, of the film. Uh, again, male director as well. So maybe a lot of the ideas maybe weren't fully realised. Maybe if there was a female director, the, the writing could have been taken even further. Um, but at least it it did show Linda as. Uh, 
a person with agency, especially like you get scenes with her, like you get a classic scene, uh, you know, uh, her dad, uh, George Siegel from Just Shoot Me. Uh, you know, he tells her, like, all, all of her dreams are pointless and stuff, like any film <laughs> yeah. dad. Yeah. And she goes, no, I'm going I'm going to Soho. I'm going to go see the Beatles. And that's great. It, it, like, whilst a lot of her life is a happy accident, in those key moments, it does show that, like, at least she knew what she was doing. For sure. But um, that that's probably the part of the movie that I have the least complaints about. For me, that was the most enjoyable part of the movie, to be perfectly frank, was the opening 15 minutes or whatever like that first act was for sure the best um Mm -hmm. and and now i don't think they've truly captured her because again linda was more you know showing up with a bag of weed Mm -hmm. she seemed more like a businesswoman in the movie who was also cool that's what i got out of this performance that could be a result of everyone's last memories of linda though because obviously all beetle wives become major admin personnel by her final years yeah she's a she's fucking uh lady mccartney i mean <laughs> you know she has a whole a frozen foods deal and she's she's in um like the national gallery in mm-hmm. in london so yes by the end of her life she is uh accomplished as both an entrepreneur of fine frozen foods also an animal activist which we'll have to talk about by the way that that doesn't even get mentioned practically in the movie um and also an accomplished like a really really good accomplished photographer as well where was the rolling stone cover phoebe why did they not show the rolling stone cover that would have been worth mentioning i mean you know again this is 90 minutes we've got 90 minutes to tell her pre-paul story her romance with paul the breakup of the beatles the tour with wings yeah (laughs) like wings gets five minutes of screen time and then come on (laughs) This, this this is the exact argument we're having about the new let it be box set they've got about an hour on each cd and we're all here sitting saying why have they not included all 56 hours of nagra real footage from for this box set like these these movies are setting themselves up for failure purely with the cinematic format and this is why i keep saying on paul and i think there needs to be a netflix documentary uh, a netflix drama series each one's an hour an hour and a half long per album then we can finally start getting into my into the minutiae of the Beatles, because how many scenes in both of these movies where it felt like, oh, we need to quickly film this scene right. and, we'll, yeah, yeah. And, we'll, and we'll amalgamate these two scenes and we'll make this person of, say of that. And, oh. Right, right, right. You're getting from point A to point B to C. And yeah, exactly. You're hitting like whatever the major beats of the story are that you've that you've put out. And you got to do it real quick. Because you have a real limited time, unless you're the John and Yoko movie and you take two and a half fucking hours. But actually, the best thing I can say about Linda McCartney's story is that it was over quick. It was. <laughs> that's my, that's my first note. For you. I, liked, <laughs> I, I, I liked how breezy it was. I like how sure. it, it's not up its own ass. It like, definitely is not. <laughs> we 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 know what we are. We're a glossy, breezy ninety minutes of the nineteen nineties. It's not the better film, but it is far more palatable. Like if it's on yes. in the background, yes, yeah, leave it on. I don't care. Mom and dad, the kids, grand and granddad can all watch this together. For sure. Thank you yeah, for ma- yeah. for making it 90 minutes. That's that is the length that it should be. So you're condensing a massive amount of information. Of course it's going to be 
just a watercolor, like ridiculously over simplified. Yeah, of course it is. So we have to judge it on that criteria. How well did it hit its various beats and like what did it pull out as important? That to me was a very weird. Like I, I, I really question what they drew from Linda McCartney's so-called life to put in this movie like first of all it should have been the, called the paul and linda story yeah or maybe even the paul mccartney story in terms of screen time here because like it seriously it was not the linda mccartney story and the john and yoko love story was not the yoko ono story although it's definitely served as you know a telling of her life from her point of view like that was the whole point of that movie but yeah. it was framed as the John and Yoko love story, which is what this movie really was and should have been called. This is like what if Sherlock Holmes was called The Charming Adventures of Watson. Can we talk about Paul now? Can we? Yeah. Can we, <laughs> yes. <laughs> can we talk about Gary Bakewell? Uh, first, first of all, folks, in the UK, a Bakewell tart is a type of cake, which is hilarious. Um, but uh, this is a man who's made his living off... Uh, Beatles biopics. This is the Paul McCartney from Backbeat back in '94. Uh, let's let's not go into Backbeat themes because we will just be talking forever. Uh, but g- genuinely, I didn't find him as distracting as I thought. I was I was quite pleased. Uh, it's not as um, garish as something say like Christopher Eccleston in Lennon Naked. Like uh, Bakewell does pass mm. for black and white Paul and for uh, Technicolor Paul, shall we say. But whilst the film does everything in its power to portray Paul positively, again, it doesn't make him cool. Um, he's either pining over some violent, you know, scaghead, scouse, wife beater, or he's <laughs> pining over his really boring wife like it's just like what like where is like the man who is basically currently redefining pop music uh, you know as he goes thank you uh, you know where where is that guy and the fact that we go from the formation of wings to the wings university gig to wings over america to linda dying is 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 very uh synonymous of that like wouldn't it have been great? Like, let's open the movie during the hurricane where Calico Skies was written. You're being creative <laughs> now. You know, you know what I mean? Just think think about <laughs> it for 10 seconds. And you can get some nice scenes together. Open it. Paul and Linda in Helen, the, the Jeep, driving around. Hey, maybe have a scene where Paul and Linda are attacked in Lagos. Like something interesting could happen. I don't know. Like I know there's so, there's so, but it's it's like the it's too rich of a well, and this is like naughty. That's like they're not even drawing from the well. They're like five miles from the well, oh, dude. We need a scene of Linda putting the marijuana in the baby's nappy. First of all, I just want to say that I I respect actors. I respect the acting profession. I really don't enjoy going super hard on actors or on screenwriters. I know that it is <laughs> tough work. I'm not here to bully anybody. I really am not. And whatever I'm saying about this actor is not about him as a human being who I am sure he is a lovely man or not. I don't know, but um, <laughs> this says nothing about him as a person. Okay. I just want to say that I feel bad being too hard. Phoebe, but I, Phoebe I, just answer a question. Right I'm going to go real hard. Okay. Do I do a better Paul McCartney impression 
than Gary Bakewell. I cannot stand this actor. Okay. He is so awful. I don't like watching him on screen. He literally acts as if he hates Paul. I could not figure out while I was watching this movie, I could not figure out why Linda even liked him, let alone fell madly in love oh, with him. Oh, yeah. He, this dork, this loser nerd. Oh, my God. Literally the nicest thing I can say about this actor is that he has a passing resemblance to Paul McCartney. Oh, That's oh, no. it. And, and, and the grainy, like, illegal YouTube rip that we watched of this as well. And if you yeah. squint, it's basically Paul from the Find My Way video, you know? Yeah, which, you know, again, I, I'll always take like a Jared Harris or, or like Aiden Quinn, who looks nothing like Paul McCartney, by the way, but mm -hmm. who is an, a magnificent Paul McCartney because he he got him. He loved him. He went full into the character and he's a great actor. OK, this actor who playing Paul. I'm sorry, Gary Bakewell, but you blue chunks. First of all, the portrayal of Paul is hideous. OK, he's not artistic. He's not creative. I don't understand what he loves in this world. Like there's no love of music. There's no joy in this character at all. He looks grumpy all the time. He just looks like he just sort of hates being there constantly. Like you I, would have thought that they would have taken every opportunity to have Paul with an electric guitar rocking. First of all, he has flaws and they're interesting. Okay. Not that we saw any of those flaws or whatever because he's so generic the one thing he isn't is just like lacking in energy not charming not funny he brought zero to this character he doesn't have paul's joie de vivre like he doesn't have paul's charm and he isn't sexy and i hate to be like again mm. i'm i'm not saying anything bad about this actor as a human no, being se no sex sex is a mindset sex is a mindset not a he, look this actor moves like he's on stilts and Paul McCarty moves like a panther when he's trying to seduce somebody. You know what I mean? Like those sex scenes were so. Oh, let's talk about the sex scene. Okay. Oh my God. Even seriously, <laughs> like the seduction where he's, where he's looking at her across the club. It's like, yeah. bro, you need to work on your game a little bit because Paul McCarty had mad fucking game in the sixties and you have zero, like zero. No, he, he, he looks at girls across a club floor the way I did when I was at university. Just kind of like, <laughs> oh, oh, maybe she likes me, but probably not. You know, like uh, he's the hottest rock star literally in the world at that moment. He is tripping and falling into pussy at that time. And that guy that was on screen, he looked like the dorkiest guy in high school. I, again, though, this is Paul before his cool revival. This is 2000s Paul's. So we are post anthology. He's gained some uh, credit back, I guess, but... I think we could still be underestimating just how uncool he was still in the general miasma of things. And he's like 55, but you're not portraying 55 year old Paul. You're portraying like hot, sexy, slutty Paul at the, at the peak of his rock star game. It was egregious. It was like, because, because again, it's not, it's not minor. It's like, you're literally mm. playing a scene of seduction and romance. I, I don't need a graphic blue is the warmest color 13 minute <laughs> sex scene between Paul McCartney and Linda but like the way their nipples were sellotaped to each other as not to reveal any nudity whatsoever and that <laughs> and that and that wet kind of walrus lip kissing was just 
you know when you walk in on your parents fucking and you have to just like <laughs> it felt like that and there were all oh, that one scene oh. when they were when they did their dirty weekend scene and they were taking each other's clothes off there was <laughs> that one point where like they laid down on the bed together shirtless and i was like oh my god like no, i no, felt I, really embarrassed i didn't I like, like it i didn't like it i didn't I like it like either I, I really felt like i was watching something i, I want to stop i want to stop i want to stop and it wasn't hot if it was well done and sexy i would have leaned into it but it was like it was like awkwardly intimate i oh it made me super uncomfortable i didn't like look it look when the when the actress <laughs> who, who who played linda has already like made out with angina jolie through a chain link fence like this woman knows what she's doing so this is the director here this is this is the director being like okay and then and then Linda lays on Paul while they both have their trousers on. It's, it's oh god, it's just so weird. Well, oh. and he was like so awkward and chaste. And again, you're talking about the sluttiest guy on the fucking planet, like perhaps next to Mick Jagger. Like, dude, even that dirty weekend that we're talking about, like Sam, we know what happened on that weekend. Like, well, like I mean, I mean, again, you could have shown that contrast. You know, you show Paul slinging dick for the first half of the movie, and then maybe you jump ten years later. Oh my God, he's actually quite—he's quite reserved. You know, maybe you have a scene of some groupie uh, during Wings Over America throw themselves at him. He's like, uh, "No thanks, I'm going to go see the kids." Boom! You've shown something, you know, but. Well, and, and also, Whatever. like, Whatever. it means more if you're showing the fact that he's such a hoe. He's got, like, 10 women at the time, which he does, by the way. Like, why are we, why are, is that not a part of the story? Like, you don't see Paul with another woman anywhere in this movie. You'd think he was, like, a monk. No, it's, like. Even that dirty weekend, he had, like, three other women there. It'd be like starring a George Harrison movie with Olivia Harrison when it's like, this is, this is, hey, 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 wait a second, there's something missing here. Yeah, he's Come a big on. hoe too, but anyway. Uh, uh, which which Beatle was the biggest hoe? <laughs> <laughs> That's a debate, but it's definitely between Paul and George. Uh, They're both I'm major gonna, hoe times. I'm going to make that a poll on my Twitter later on. <laughs> Why can't we just live together? I want to settle down. I have some kids of my own. Can a beetle ever really settle down? I'm finished sewing wild oats. If I all the girls I fancy, it's you I want. I love you, Lynn. I love you too. Fine, what are you afraid of then? Let's get married. I don't want to ruin what we have. Oh, let's not talk about it. Hey? Let's just do it. One other gripe here, and this is also a gripe of the John and Yoko movie, which, you know, as I said earlier, this is not the purview of the TV movie of the week. Okay. We know we're not going to get a nuanced, detailed uh, study of their relationship. You know, this long-term 30-year marriage and the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations. No, we're going to summarize this woman's famous moments in 90 minutes <laughs> but there was no exploration of any problems between paul and linda at any time not whatsoever actually there was a <laughs> no, single no. argument like you know there was no infidelity on paul's part the only struggle they had was the fact that they were separated in their night in japan yeah exactly and, <laughs> and uh, you know what 
you will notice this. You you would have definitely noticed this. Um, do you remember Bohemian Rhapsody that came out a couple of years ago? The Freddie Mercury. Yes, that pick? was stupid. Also, and there was a scene where Freddie goes, "So I've got a large mouth and teeth, so that helps my vocal <laughs> registry move into a <laughs> yeah, different." Right. And, it's, and it's like that's something written in books. Freddie never fucking said that. <laughs> And then when Paul's in jail in Japan, he goes, you know, me and Linda have never spent a night apart. And it's like, yeah. you wouldn't know that until like, you were out of the city. It felt really annoying, but it comes up in the Lennon and Yoko movie a lot more because. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they have a I lot kind of, of, they have a lot that they're trying to push into that movie. Like they're trying to get oh, various statements out. The Linda movie is very show don't tell with no nuance. And the the Yoko and yes. John movie is is all tell don't show yes. with far too much nuance. Yeah, yeah, that's I like that. <laughs> there are no um, struggles between Paul and Linda. There was like two lines where after the the jail time they come back home and Linda goes, "Okay, enough touring," and Paul's like, "What? I love touring." And she's like, no, Paul, we need to stay home with the kids. And he kind of goes, and, right. and we're definitely not going to go on tour in 1989, 1990 <laughs> exactly. or 1993. Like, that just doesn't. doesn't <laughs> on the biggest world tour ever with the biggest record Seriously. setting show. Like literally ever. Guinness Book of Records. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the fact that they even had the cojones to touch on the fact that Linda can't sing or play the instrument, I thought was wonderfully open. I'm glad that they touched on it, but I was very aware that they were never going to go past the, the the touchstone of it. They made a half-assed attempt to recreate the famous wildlife story with the, the debut of Wings where she forgets the cord, which is a great story that was absolutely mangled by this movie. Um, well, but the, well, the, well, also, she learns the chords far too quickly on the spot. She needs she needs to fumble for another a awkward Ricky Gervais, The Office-esque minute. It's just boop, boop. Oops, sorry. Da, da, da. Boop, boop, boop. I wanted. I would have watched that. I would have loved that. She literally does not sing in this movie. We don't really see her play the keyboard at all. Like her entire musical career. By the way, she was in Wings. They were one of the most successful bands in the entire decade. Like it's I mean, big, she wrote she wrote the middle eight to an Oscar winning song. She, exactly. She was a band member and there was virtually nothing about that, which was super weird. And then, of course, the the most egregious part was her advocacy for animals wasn't even a thing in this movie. There's like one line where she goes, want some chili? It's vegetarian. <laughs> like that's literally we, it. We, we need to do things. Oh, that's right. We need to. <sighs> that, that's yes. how that whole scene came, came across. When they get back from Japan, tick, 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 tick. Okay. I don't want to tour anymore. Um, we should do more for animal rights. Paul goes, but touring is my life, babe. And then there was like one other, you know, task that they checked off that they had to do in that scene. And that is literally all of her animal rights activism, which, you know, again, I'm not saying it because it because it's important to me, but it was definitely important to her. And she spent a lot of the 90s going on TV advocating for animals like she was a really passionate animal advocate. Like it's definitely obviously one of the most important things in her life. But come on, you cannot test 
uh, makeup cosmetic products in the EU directly because of the work of Linda McCartney. That's just a fact. Why and are we not talking about that in her life story? That's insanity. <laughs> no, no, we need more of this sex scene. Just to talk about touchstones and how everything needs to be checked off. Even in the Jim Morrison scene, he was like, yeah, my dad was in the Navy and like we used to move around as a kid. And it's like, that's the first fact everyone learns about Jim Morrison. He he didn't say that out loud. It's so annoying. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. We haven't read her script. We don't know what she wrote. You know what I mean? Like she might have written a two and a half hour script and they might have just whittled it down to the 90s. <laughs> it's like the Heaven's Gate of McCarthy's scripts. <laughs> it's like it, it was butchered. In, hashtag, <laughs> hashtag release the Linda cut. For all we know, they could have given her a list of things to that they wanted to be in the movie, or they things she, that they, they didn't want to be in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Like they could have been like, yeah, we'll cut out that stuff about animal rights. That that won't play so well. We want we really want to focus on their love story here, which is what the movie ends up being about. It really is the Paul and Linda romance, and they should have called it the Paul and Linda story. In fact, um, I don't know about you, but the copy that I saw, it was from an American screening so it was on cbs here in america and it had a commercial that came on the original airing which is very very interesting and then the john and yoko one that i saw also had a commercial this is very important because it tells us how these movies were marketed and how they how they were promoted on on tv so the linda mccartney one first of all they called paul the leader of the biggest band in the world. Oh my God. Okay. I'm behind this commercial already. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I was like, it. huh. Okay. Interesting. They straight up called him the leader of the biggest band in the world. And then they said, this is the greatest romance in the history of rock and roll. I mean, you know, it's America. So greater definitely... than the love be- be- between John and Paul <laughs> or John and Yoko. Like this trumps Yoko, everything yeah. or anybody. And again, it is America. We go big or go home here. So, you know. What what a letdown in terms of uh, promising from a trailer there. The greatest, <laughs> the greatest love story ever told where no one fucks or does anything interesting or grows or. Yeah, exactly. Pre- or has any conflicts or overcomes anything or anything. Like there's no drama. It's, oh. it's literally just like they have a perfect marriage and then she gets ill. That's it. That is like the only conflict, if you can call it that, in the whole movie. We should talk about the representation of John and Yoko in this movie. Maybe there's a resistance to like paint John as an out and out antagonist. Uh, John in this one's played by one Mr. Tim Piper. Piper, I barely even knew her. Um, but uh, <laughs> he also did, uh, sorry, um, he also did the vocals for another Lennon film called The Lennon Story. Um, oh my God. But, How many um, of these shit movies have there been? No, no, no. I, I feel like if an actor plays a Beatle once, like, right, I've got my Liverpool tour. It's true. It's sorted. true. But Phoebe, that's not the big news here. This is exclusive <laughs> for your podcast here. Okay. So the guy who plays John Lennon in this one is like, Paul McCartney, I'm going to throw a brick through your window. <laughs> yeah, he's very much that John, angry John, evil John, <laughs> obsessed with Yoko John. Even this movie doesn't fucking say he's on heroin, but whatever. Um, yeah. This actor, Mr. Tim Piper, barely even knew her. He hosts a <laughs> podcast called <gasps> Talks with John. What no. is this show? I hear you ask. He stays in character the whole time. He does not. 
as John Lennon without any trace of an authentic Liverpool accent. And uh, he and his co-host go over the week's events and what? you get to imagine what John might have actually said. Ah, you know, this this this, this Trump cunt. I don't really like the fucking Saturn, oh, you know. Like it, it, it's very much God. like that. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> well, first of all, this guy's my hero now. <laughs> so. uh, no, no, but I need to do talks with Paul now. I need oh, to do talks Lord. with Paul. We should also talk about the other big Linda of this movie, the actress who plays Yoko, an actress named Linda Ko, mm. who has been getting increasingly steadier work throughout the mid and late 2010s, which I was very pleased oh, okay. to see. Um, not much to say here, except the fact that she's only shown to be a malicious figure in this movie. Did like You know those movies like The Ring or The Grudge, the stereotypical Japanese scary ghost girl. Yeah. That's how she's portrayed in, in this movie. Like, it's like, Yoko's on screen. Bam, bam, bam. Like, there is no attempt to humanise her at all. And she whispers in John's ear and she giggles in a very stereotypical Japanese fashion. It's not the best representation of Yoko. Oh. <laughs> I don't that's so much better than Paul's intro. You have to use it. Right, that's enough. Can we go, please? Can we just go? Obladi, oblada. I hate your stinking song. Pure rubbish. All right, is that your opinion, John, or hers? I can speak for myself. Oh, is that so? I hadn't noticed. Vocals done yet? Yeah, come on. Come on. Playback, please. From the top. Got to use the loo. I I was kind of shocked by their portrayal of... First of all, both the portrayal of John and Yoko were wild to me. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> wild. The the actor playing John Lennon, he made a lot of interesting choices. Oh, that's a great phrase. He, he made a lot of interesting choices. <laughs> wow, he did some things with that role that were very no. But unexpected. he was having he was having a blast. Though. He was having a blast. That actor, good for him. He had a ball. I don't know why exactly he was cast because I'll do respect to the to the actor, but he looked fifty years old. And he looked like he weighed about 100 pounds more than John Lennon at that time. Oh, I didn't want to touch on the weight thing because... I'm not calling a, him fat. I'm saying no, that, like, John Lennon at the time was at his skinny, you know, he like, a, he was super skinny. Yeah, he was a, yeah. yeah. So that was weird. <laughs> and also, he looked super old. And he, he just didn't look... every, With the possible exception of Elizabeth Mitchell, like, er, all the actors in this movie were a downgrade. Again, I'm sad. I'm going really hard on Wait, these actors. Maybe, but no, no, that could be a definite calculation, though. You know, we're going to sure. downgrade everyone and then we'll upgrade Linda and then she'll look like the center of the story. Well, Sam, course. they do exactly the same thing in the John and Yoko movie. Oh, no, no. Um, the Yoko in that, I think she's played. Kim Miori? She's played, she's played uh, plays about. 19, whereas Yoko was about 92 when she met John. I'm sorry, but Kim, <laughs> Kim Miori is lovely. She is a, she is gorgeous. And She's I'm not so saying beautiful. Yoko is ugly or anything. I mean, but Yoko is an average looking woman. And 
this actress is gorgeous. But, you know, again, like I'm saying, in the Linda movie, Paul, John, and Yoko all got kind of downgraded a little bit in terms of looks. Um, they No, they do look like French actors from the 60s. It's like, God, you look normal. Bloody hell. You know, where's where's Bradgelina when you need them, you know, to kind of take you back to that fantasy land a bit? <laughs> well, the thing about John and Paul is that they are beautiful people. Objectively I mean, as well. They, not- they are objectively beautiful people. They they are as beautiful as actors. A lot of artists are not. A lot of artists look normal or sometimes they're attractive, but they don't have to be, right? Because they're great artists. You know what I mean? Like Bob Dylan is a sort of average looking per just to randomly choose a peer. You know what I mean? Um, Thank you, Phoebe. As opposed to John and Paul who are very attractive. But anyways, going back to the, the, the John and Yoko portrayal, like, first of all, Yoko only has like two I, lines of dialogue. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Yes. I was going to say that, but like, let me just back up for a second. I didn't understand John Lennon in this movie. And also like there, there was a weird thing in the movie where Paul was upset when the Beatles broke up and that famous, you know, there's that scene. Are you going to quote the quote that I really hope you are where Paul goes, I'm just a sentimental turd. <laughs> oh no, that was, that was great though. <laughs> no, that was like a moment. Where, okay. So he's, so he's drinking in the, um, in the farm and he's, and he's depressed stage, yeah. and he's like, yeah, um, you know, my band is on, he's upset. You, you kind of get why he's uh, upset about that. Right. But then she comes back like he's crying and he's like, I really love John. I'm like, did you? I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> the movie made no effort to show why you like this guy at all. Like they didn't yeah. even seem to like each other. I don't understand what happened here. And then it was <laughs> the same when they when they did this the scene where they got together at Christmas. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening between these two. Oh, and then like when John was in, the, it, they showed Linda in the um in the studio. <laughs> that terrific Abbey Road set. <laughs> Um, oh god no it's so bad that abbey road set it's like oh okay this is like you know some decca studios clearly in la somewhere it looked like the sound room at like a community college like you can hear giles martin's vomit whenever you look at the whenever you look at that it really it it had like the production value was so low on this but anyways um so so this is kind of the whole all that we get about the beatles breakup is we're thrust into this scene at at Abbey Road, like the White Album scene, right? And John and Yoko are over by the piano and Yoko's, she's shooting daggers at Paul and she goes, um, I think John's intro was a lot better, which oh, by yeah. the way, she did say, but I didn't understand why. Like when I was watching this movie, I was like, why is she shooting daggers at Paul and like trying well, to trying to like sabotage the bait? Like it made no sense. And then well, Paul was like, no, but, oh, everything but, was fine until Yoko got here. And I'm like, why is he mad at her? Why that is she mad was at weird, him? Though. What the fuck is going on here? That scene I feel was written in the script as John plays dun 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 dun. Which but they could not the, play. Because so they, they could just refer to it. Yeah. It's like imagine if like that that they they had to like talk about something and then didn't play something in a George Harrison documentary. It like was, it's oh it was so awkward. 
But again, what an interesting piece of trivia. Oh, Paul was struggling on this very Paul-type song, and it was John who came in. Maybe that could have shown the need to have John around and why Paul liked to have him around. Like I said, I didn't understand why Paul was crying. There wasn't even a scene where they were like playing together and enjoying creating together or even a five second shot in a montage they weren't even standing next to each other like laughing or anything there was no indication that that they had ever been friends is it too complicated to show two relationships in a 90 minute time frame yeah i was gonna say i don't expect this shitty tv movie to explain the beatles breakup like you know fair enough nobody's been able to do that in 50 years so i'm not saying that i expected them to do that but there wasn't any explanation of like why yoko was there or why she was sabotaging paul or why paul didn't like her that was so confusing and then when john is like i want a divorce and paul's like stricken she has like an evil smile (laughs) and i was like what the fuck it's christmas man I wanted to see you. Oh, we missed you. How are you? Great. Come on. Come on in, man. You look great. Okay, so in the Linda movie, there was that reunion. So in this scene, they addressed John's issues with his citizenship or whatever. They foreshadowed Paul's arrest in Japan. Um, they talked about Paul, uh, Paul's prior arrests and John's, you know, prior arrests, although John's are irrelevant to the story. So I don't know why we're spending time on that. They don't mention marijuana by name either, but they do cite the word joints, which I didn't expect. I was like, oh, okay. oh right, right. They are smoking a joint there. So um, they, there's at least enough. Well, I mean, they have to address it because they have to address the jail time, whatever. And then what was the other thing? And then they and then they also they've indicated that John and Paul have, have made up. Okay. That's what gets done in that scene. But um how did they portray um Yoko in that scene? I I just remember her being there, just kind of nodding along, saying how much she likes the the, the hotel in Japan and how it's their mm. home away from home. Oh right, but, right. They mentioned that. Yeah, they don't they, they don't mention anything about the fact that Paul and Linda were going to be staying there. I thought that would, I thought that's literally what that was. Oh really my God. And how John went into an a- absolute tailspin and he was like, they're going to, Paul and Linda are going to be in that bed. We can never sleep in it again. Do you remember that? Do you know about that? Yeah. 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 What a loser. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's a whole thing. So anyways, um, Sorry, I just can't get over how Lennon, this bastion of white male masculinity, is clearly the most insecure man ever documented in popular culture. I know. (laughs) Why is John in this movie so much? Like, I get that it kind of has to do with Linda's life because it kind of impacts her life because it's her husband's life. But did they just, the producers just tell them they have to put more of that in it? We need more John. We need the fans to give a shit. Exactly. but isn't this prime? Forgive me if this is horrendously cisgendered of me. But isn't this targeted mostly at housewives in America during the the, the daylight hours more than anything? You would think so. At least more than the John Yoko one. They're both on at night, movie of the weeks. So they're not. Um, neither one, you know, was produced by Hallmark, who had at that point 
when this movie was made in 99 tv movies had mostly become you know my my son found a sex fiend on the internet or right you know sexually transmitted disease of the week movie that kind of thing um like i said hallmark was very big and lifetime was very big in the 90s those are two american networks and they did a lot of romance movies targeted for women which this would you'd expect would kind of fall into that i mean maybe maybe they syndicated it i couldn't find much i mean i searched wiki and imdb but um you know i don't know who they sold it to if it had ever rerun on um lifetime or hallmark and i don't know where it aired in britain i'm assuming it aired in britain do you know never seen it on anything here in in, in the uk so i would imagine it's got one of things like oh it's massive in fiji every christmas they play this movie yeah yeah interesting Uh, the euro american centric narrative of the beatles presses on i don't know it it wasn't great and by the way chrissy hind what was that chrissy hind yeah like that chrissy hind was nothing like chrissy hind sorry i'm completely lost who which one was that in the movie she's like the lady with the black hair when what She's, she starts, she's in the beginning of the movie, which she, she's the one oh, who she, shoves she, the chili in her mouth. <laughs> okay, yeah, I remember that. She no. goes, I was, I was watching I, it, I was like, who is this woman? And then th- she literally goes, that's so Chrissy Hind of me, isn't it? <laughs> When's the last time you had a mammogram? Hmm, it's mm. been a while. It was good. If oh. ever. <clears throat> oh, look, McCartney, you gotta get this checked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Typical Chrissy Hind. Hey, I don't want to lose you. Oh, that's very uh, telling of the fact that they didn't trust the audience to. Yeah, know, who she they, was. they could have put her in a T-shirt that said Chrissy Hind. That's me, you know. And this is me, Danny Fields. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I mean there was one cut in this that I thought was very confusing whereby there's a shot of Linda like feeling a lump on her armpit. Yeah. And it follows a 1960s scene and then it cuts even further into the future to her full diagnosis. And the language of film was incapable of letting me know casually whether she found the lump on her armpit in 68, 72, 83. Like, I was very yeah. confused as to what the timeline of Because it almost made her look irresponsible. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, she'd found this lump and then toured with wings for like 10 well, years and did, and did nothing about it. Yeah, right. Because well, they didn't age her. Like 45-year-old <laughs> Linda looked exactly like 22-year-old Linda. And with also, they didn't change the set, really. Like the, the you know, the 60s sets weren't dated. Austin Powers has better art direction than this. Than, I mean, this it was movie. pretty half-assed. I hated Cavendish. Like, well, that was the other thing. Okay, this annoyed me a lot was like they pulled up to Cavendish and it was like in the suburbs yeah it looked like Scarsdale or something and yes it was like a mansion in Scarsdale with like this giant gate and stuff like that and like it's just a three-story house it's big yes but it's not an estate with with and it's a big that's a big deal like that's a very 
key difference between like if you're painting the character of Paul McCartney in the 60s in 1967 at the this is like his peak his creative rock star peak like he's changing the face of popular music with Sgt. Pepper he's a very important figure right there and he lives three blocks from Abbey Road that's important it's a big distinction between him and the other Beatles you can't just randomly put him in some big suburban mansion you're changing the story you're not even telling the story of the right guy there's so many little details you 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 mentioned this earlier we are too spoiled we do know too much but these are big these are big these aren't details like if you're describing who this person is like if you took, let's say, even just one page to describe Paul McCartney, who is Paul McCartney, especially at this point in his life, those are big things. <laughs> those are little details. In this movie, he's kind of like just a dude, like just a boring, grumpy dude who happens to be in a band who lives in a mansion and is rich and is like, you know, he pulls up to his mansion and he's like, girls, get out of the way. Come on. Jeez. It's like you got the wrong guy. Plain and simple. This is not him. That scene annoyed me because they didn't even play it off as he did like the attention, but he had to change his behavior because Linda was there. That's what like I'm a, saying. Like, like, like a normal fucking human being. Right. And then, e- even worse, they have one little clip where the girls go, oh, bitch, she's a bitch. I'm like, oh, cool. Are they going to touch on the fact that Linda was really harangued by the fans, um, very unjustly so? Oh, no, no, never gets brought up again. Okay, how about this? We don't even, there's literally no mention that this woman is Jewish at any point, other (laughs) other than like George Seagal playing her dad. Like that's literally the only reference to her being Jewish in the entire movie. Yeah, the the idea that that is not even mentioned at all does kind of uh, obscure the fact that uh, why people may have disliked it in the first place. And it's like, if we're going to ignore that, then you're going to have to ignore a lot of history. And it's very awkward. It's, you know, it, it'd be like ignoring the racism angle with Yoko. But also like, it's just part of her identity, which again, is not represented faithfully in this movie at all. Like this this the Linda McCarty on the screen was not quirky or weird at all, right? No, she, no, she was in control. She was always cool and hip, and she was always with the scene, and everyone was. Which she around is, her. like I get that, and I get that they want to um, highlight that. Like she is, she was cool. Like she has, she had a cool personality. I get that, but she, she was quirky and she was weird and she wore mismatched socks and she had bad haircuts and hairy armpits. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there was a reason why people called her a dog, you know, in the paper and shit like that. And, and went off like everybody for decades was like, why, what did Paul do? He had this lovely Jane Asher and he threw his life away to marry this piece of shit, this ugly <laughs> new dog. You know what I mean? And none Mm. of that was even touched upon. It was like just some like, you know, jealous, pudgy girls outside. (laughs) It was like that was the extent of the backlash that she faced. Oh, and one bad review. They they read one bad review. Something I really would have liked from the Linda McCartney movie in terms of the screenwriting. And, you know, we've been talking about how she's not quirky. She's not cool. Yeah. Linda desperately needs a movie about her written by someone like Diablo Cody 
Oh, uh, yeah. The lady who wrote Juno. Yes, it's got too much of that mid-2000s, I'm quirky, I've got a hamburger phone dialogue. But, you know, if, if, if you need someone to find out why someone's weird and cool at the same time, you definitely need someone like that. And I think the overall message we've gotten so far is you can't have stock crew on a non-stock story like this. Well, I think... I think that's a great way to put it. Weird, but cool. I think that is the thing. And I, I think that's Paul, too. Totally. Paul is weird, but cool. Like, he, Paul is definitely quirky. He's not, like, Mr. Joe Cool in the, um, you know, that sort of mainstream, palatable, generic. Uh, like I say, Joe Cool. Like, like Snoopy with the sunglasses. It's like a cliche. <laughs> like Fonzie, you know, like a dumb hey, cliche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is what I feel like. I, I'm... I don't that's, feel like that's John what Lennon. John is. That is what John it is. is I was yeah. going to say is I, I don't feel like John Lennon is actually that cliche, but I feel like the perception of John Lennon is that cliche. You don't have to be interesting to like John Lennon. It's just like so boring mainstream version of cool. He's not quirky the way that Paul is like, you know, those those sets you have as like a little kid where if it's a little girl, it's either like a little kitchen or your little boy, it's a little like workshop and it's called like yeah, ba- yeah. Ba- baby's first workshop. Like Jonathan is baby's first favorite rock star in the way that, you know, Shawshank yeah. is everyone's first favorite film. Oh, can we talk about Bruce Ghostman? <laughs> no, I never agreed to Bruce Ghostman as our manager. I don't trust him. The guy is just a, he got the stones of a million dollar advance at a Decca. We never got any advance. Yeah, he also got all the hot dog songs off him too, John. Go on. Oh, they can't say Alan Klein's name. What was that about? Oh my god! Like, couldn't they have called him like Ron D. Klein and just had a reference <laughs> reference or something? I feel like Grossman is kind of offensive purely just because I feel like the writer's still trying to kind of make the name sound Jewish. Oh no, yeah. I thought it was a reference to Bob Dylan's to um, Grossman. Oh, of course, yeah. It's like a oh. Colonel Tom, Colonel Parker, whatever. Or, you know, it's Paul going, you know, he's a gross man, you know. The Paul uh, and Lee Eastman conversations were quite interesting, actually, purely because there were scenes without Linda. And I was like, oh, normally in these kind of Oh, movies, yeah, yeah. You only follow scenes with Linda. And we get private scenes to stuff that she doesn't know about. And they don't do anything with that. There's no dramatic irony, like where the audience knows something that Linda might not. But I guess there wasn't much to work with there. Um, I would have liked to have seen more yeah. of uh, Lee Eastman throughout the movie, though, especially post-marriage and post-71. We didn't learn anything about Linda and her dad. We only saw scenes with, like you said, with with um, her dad and Paul. And there was that one fascinating scene where we got to see them alone for 10 seconds, but it didn't go anywhere. And no, no, for me, I'm like, Lee Eastman went to the farm. That's cool. Let's talk about that. Yeah, um, if that actually happened. Although he, do, you know, like we know where that scene came from because he mm-hmm. has a story about talking to, to Lee Eastman. And him saying, no, you, you know, Klein's not a party. I'm sorry, Grossman um, isn't a party to the action. So you have to sue the Beatles and all that kind of shit. But And then Paul turns to the camera and says, you mean I've got to sue John? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh-oh. Wait, <laughs> I feel like we can't skip this ridiculous scene where the John character, sh- like, 
comes to Cavendish and breaks the window. No, not that one. That's another great, great. <laughs> oh, scene. Odie, Odie breaks the the, yes. the picture. Yes, in, in so front he, of Mary McCartney as well. Like, can we can we get a corroborating quote on that? So, first of all, Mary's in the crib, and there's that voiceover which we haven't even addressed. That fucking voiceover. But anyways, oh, so yeah, um, <laughs> that that that's also one main difference to the uh, John and John and Yoko one as well. That we do get a Linda voiceover. Oh, it's such a terrible, it's such it, a terrible no, no, crutch. Yeah, it's it's not like the Goodfellas narration where it adds this like whole meta layer of insight to the character. It's just so. Uh, then me and Paul went to the shop down the road, yes. and then the next thing will be. So we're at the shop down the road. It's it's what ninety five percent of voiceovers are, which is a very terrible amateurish way to cover up your mistakes because you failed in your storytelling. Remember, the first rule of cinema is tell, don't show. <laughs> like you failed already if you're no, narrating. No, no, Phoebe. The first rule of screenwriting is do not end with fade to black and then gunshot, which is how the <laughs> other movie oh ends. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> That's oh the my first god. Rule. Okay, so he, so John comes into he he breaks into Paul's house. Linda's voiceover is like, "We were having our second anniversary while Mary's in the crib," and you're like, "What?" What does that mean? What's the second anniversary of what? I'm assuming it's like their fuck anniversary or whatever, because it's <laughs> it was like before they got married, actually. So, but Mary is in the crib, which makes no sense. This was before, way before she was born. It was when they were recording Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. The, the, then, this story I, is is alleged. Mary's born in September of '69, so she yeah. wouldn't. The, they're way off they're way off like date wise but anyways paul's not even in the room by the way how are you celebrating your anniversary by being in different rooms first of all they're supposed to be having like a candle to dinner or something so if john's breaking in in their anniversary either they're going to be making out on the couch or or humping on the couch or something wouldn't that actually be a funny scene if they wouldn't that be better and also you wouldn't have to oh my god my brain it's like you wouldn't have to tell us they're having their anniversary if you just showed it to us instead you put them in different rooms and made them go we are celebrating an anniversary and then john and it's, comes and in. And it's like the middle of the day as well and, it, and, like, and also like what is john upset about that was so weird it was like he he came in and then that actor was doing all kinds of really weird things like he leaned on the wall at some point like sort of taking a break i'm like what are you doing are you mad or not i don't understand what's happening in this yeah scene. no so no weird that to me felt a bit like he'd read that quote you know the one where john pulls his glasses down and goes it's only me paul and then goes back into the <laughs> ranting i feel like he's trying to to daniel day lewis that a little bit and failing meaning what like he's like he's He's, going back and forth with his emotions or something yeah he's trying to schizo it up a little bit okay i see well there was also you you might be right because in that (laughs) scene where they visit the dakota he opens the door and his eyes are like shifting all over (laughs) it's it's like he was trying to get off a death penalty he was like oh god crazy yeah (laughs) it was very strange it like i did not get that actor at all yeah like they it's a very easy scene to do you just play (laughs) john pretending to want paul to be there and paul pretending that he's not noticing that 
John doesn't want him to be there. It's a very easy scene to do. That's not the scene at all. The scene was that John was very excited to see him. Yeah. And yeah. But that again was sort of confusing because it's like, okay, now we have the scene. John is relieved. Like he's hugging him. You know, he's like, thank God you're here. You know, and he's like, he does say that, doesn't he? Oh my God, that's so bold. More or less. And he's like squeezing him tight, which is, which is real. That's a real, you know, again, this is, these are all fake scenes that they're just amalgamations of different things. You know what I mean? There was a visit at Christmas time once. There was a, a visit where John was pulling him close and going, touching his grade or whatever. And they just sort of smashed them all together into one scene. And then, you know, there's another visit where they're smoking weed and there's another visit where they're talking about Japan. And they just pushed them all into one bizarre, awkward scene. Um mm-hmm. As I've said before, I didn't understand anything about their relationship. Like there was a scene in the in the studio where Ringo says to Paul, what's up with you and John? And I'm like, yeah, what is up with you? And John? I'm like, I don't. I don't. <laughs> uh, just, they, they didn't. Just but they, outside of the movie, that's so funny. And they did the Liberty Bell scene where, um, you know what the Liberty Bell is, right? That's the the cracking of it, and it's the point where they couldn't repair the relationship, right? Yes. So they they do a dramatic reenactment of this in the Linda McCartney movie. They set it at Abbey Road, which I think it did occur. Mm-hmm. And again, in this scene, like Paul is the leader. Like the three of them are sitting on sitting down, and he's like walking around, like you know, what is this bullshit? And they're like, we're going with Klein, we're going with Grossman. <laughs> And he's like, I'm not fucking signing with that piece of shit. <laughs> John's like, well, I'm going to sign with them. And Ringo's like, come on, we've all signed. Like, this is well, the Liberty I guess you don't need my signature, do you? And he slams the paper in John's chest. Right. And John's like, and John limps off. It was really weird because the thing is that, like, that is a big moment in the in the real life trajectory of the Beatles, right? But it's a moment of betrayal where Paul's pushed into a corner and he wasn't, it wasn't portrayed that way. Again, though, it comes down to time and so many of these issues compact and compound when you try to introduce more of them. You need to spend 10 minutes explaining why this Klein guy is unreliable and talk about the Stones. We need to spend more time talking about why, you know, Klein versus the Eastmans. And the lack of detail just leaves so much room to interpretation which in the world of cinema leads to confusion because you need to hold an audience's hand without letting them know you're holding their hand i guess and this is very much a movie going come along now hold my hand we're going this way whether you want to or not whether you can accept it or not it's like oh cool i guess they're breaking up for some reason the mood the, the movie says so let's let's go with it i guess yeah, it was kind of dumb. And it, it, when it was all just a sort of a setup for Paul to be upset in 1969 and for Linda to pull him back in and be like, I'll never leave you and I'll support you and whatever. Oh, no, um, the whole point of the Beatles breaking up is for Linda to pick him back out of, exactly, of, of, yeah. of the rut, even though the rut is... Uh, again, they, they spend 30 minutes doing Beatles stuff to put in the trailer and for the Beatle fans to kind of guffaw yeah, yeah. over. But Paul being depressed is one scene. It's one scene with the beard. You know, they only had to rent the beard for half an hour. <laughs> they did the scene and then he doesn't have the beard for the rest of the movie. <laughs> but something could happen maybe. 
but no, no, it's it's just Paul goes, you know, Linda, I feel I can't I can't write songs and I'm a sentimental t- I'm a sentimental <laughs> turd. Oh my god, like that 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 is up there with like you, it's okay to, to to kill a blue jay, but you can never kill a mockingbird. <laughs> I'm a sentimental turd. <laughs> She's like, you're not um, Engelbert Humperdinck or whatever John said. (laughs) (laughs) That, you you know, when you have to think about a a director having to look at an actor and say, this is your line. (laughs) Your line is, you're not Engelbert Humperdinck or whatever John says. Where are the bloopers for this scene? Come on. (laughs) Yeah, that is sort of a pivotal scene that you would put in any movie because it does establish that... A, that Linda's ride or die with Paul. Um, B, that she has the strength and the fortitude to take care of this like depressed man and the babies at the same time. And, and like, by the way, you know, a, sort of a high maintenance 10 year old or however old Heather is at that time. Seven, she's not even, she's like a little and a newborn baby, you know, like that is so much. But again, they didn't really lean into that much at all. Mm. <laughs> this whole period came down to one single conversation and not just months of Linda saying, oh, that looks quite cool, Paul, and then moving on. And then, you, you know what I mean? Like, that was probably the real confidence boost, not just one conversation, rather than a, a gradual yeah. buildup of, oh, that's that's kind of cool, Paul. You should carry on working on that. And then three days later, did you, did you do anything with that song? You should really, you should really do something with that. That's probably what really happened. And again, a series would greatly benefit from that kind of stretching of the narrative, you know? Well, and also I do fully believe that she was an amazing wife. And I think there's tremendous value in being a great wife, you know, same as there is in in being a good husband. And the fact that she was ride or like your spouse should be ride or die. That's a great quality to have and and I like that about her and I like that about their story. So everybody wants somebody who's just going to be their supporter and cheerleader all the time. So I like that. But at the same time, I don't know how much we need to lean into this whole, like, it was a love of a good woman that, because Paul is a tremendous talent and, a, and a, you know, like literally the most successful songwriter of his whole generation like of the century so like well and, and who says it was love that she gave to him that's what got it I mean, maybe she kicked his ass a little bit and said get the fuck out of bed you piece of fucking shit write well, a she, song you know she what I definitely mean? did that she definitely did that and they did hint at that in that line where she yells at him and she's like you're a grown man and you don't need john you know <laughs> but that kind of yeah. speaks to a different issue do you know what i mean because this is writing for concise messaging right so you're sort of squashing a lot of issues into a short scene so you got a lot you have to do a lot of storytelling in like literally like a minute and a half of screen time Shakespeare brevity yeah you do yeah which is you know fair enough but I feel like you don't need John is kind of um is kind of blurring the issues a little bit you know what I mean because John is sort of a discrete issue from your band which is different from your songwriting you do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it that's why when he comes back and he's crying and he's like i love john i'm like wait a second that's a different 
issue yeah, that like, you you haven't laid the foundation for that. Like I don't even know anything about their friendship. That's different from losing the band and not having confidence as a songwriter. And it's also just not trusting the audience. Like, oh, well, the audience will understand wanting to do something with a friend. Like, there's not going to be anyone in the audience who's talented at anything and can relate to the <laughs> of, of, of not applying oneself in a time of depression. You know? Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. Wasn't there at some point where I, hold on, let me check. So my note says that when he's crying at the farm, he says, it's like when my mom died. Which is pretty intense. And I feel like they did this too in the Dirty Weekend. They're by the pool and they're holding each other. And Paul's opening up and telling Linda his whole life story with his mom and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. We know the purpose of that scene. First is that he's opening up to Linda and he's forming a bond with her. And the second one is that we're learning the backstory of Paul with his uh, maternal loss and all that sort of stuff. But what we're losing with that scene is the fact that Paul cannot express himself openly you know like that is a huge overriding personality trait of this man and it would definitely impact their marriage and also just uh, like impacts him as a human being and as an artist who only like can explore certain feelings through music Mm -hmm. you know as opposed to being a direct communicator so Paul, can we talk about our argument last night? No, but I've written you a song, Linda. You know get, exactly. Get like, what is that going to do to them? And like, surely that was a tension point between them at times, right? It's a tension point with Paul and other people in his life. So it, it, it's kind of the price you have to pay if you're doing this type of a movie, right? You don't have time to get into all that, and you're going to lose some legitimate characterization, right? Because you're just mm-hmm making a sort of generic character that everybody can relate to and it's it's like approximate we know we're not getting a detailed reflection of who Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney are as human beings right but we we feel like we should be kind of in the ballpark of who they are right yeah these these are definitely caricatures uh, broad the broadest strokes possible like a real wall paint roller kind of <laughs> kind of stroke of uh, who these characters are and it, uh, it loses part of the romance for me too because if Paul's a, a very very sensitive person who can't put his feelings into words which he is you know mm. that makes it more important for him to bond with her and to open up to her and all that all that kind of stuff which i again i I think is what they're doing with that scene like i I get that that's what they're doing but they haven't set up the fact that he doesn't do this normally just to take your point further if he's a man who can't express himself and emotionally through words a lot of the time the fact they don't show paul expressing his love for her physically yes yes actually that's a great point sam i did kind of um want to see him eat at home (laughs) <laughs> well i mean it's cbs tv of the week it's not going to be anything other than g-rated but um no but i did feel like that their bond was much more carnal than it was sort of portrayed as here john and yoko are the fuck couple which is not fair but it is weird that in this one we do get at least a sex scene but it's a sex scene done badly and the wrong kind of way it's 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 a weird confluence of circumstance really 
Well, you know, again, I've I've stated my complaints about this actor. I mean, he's he's definitely not exuding sexuality at any point. Like I kind of over time as the movie went on and trust me, I spend the shit out of my disbelief when I watch things. I'm letting the movie do whatever it's going to do to me. I'm not fighting it. right? You know, like I am a willing participant. No, Sally Fields <laughs> fell in love with that fish man in, in The Shape of Water. I was totally <laughs> behind that movie, you know? I, I, I totally get you. Yeah, yeah, but I kind of bought into their love story a little bit by the end, but it was 90% of it was the um, the illness and stuff, which is kind of a cheap... I felt that too. I, I, as someone who's lost a parent, I was like, uh, they're just, they're going for my throat here and that's not fair of them in the way Juna is it's it's the emotional equivalent of a jump scare where it's like oh I jumped no but you weren't scared though you weren't thinking about that hours later oh no I cried at the moment because mommy's dying on screen just before we finish I think we should touch on the kids as well oh my Uh, god (laughs) (laughs) interesting casting would you say yeah there is yeah. that scene when Paul and Linda are at dinner with Stella, and I was like, "Oh, is that Stella's boyfriend?" <laughs> and then he gets up and leaves, and they're like, "What do you think, James, or something?" And I'm like, "Okay, sure." <laughs> we, we we get a line from each of them, like it was mandated in the in the script. Like, oh, each each of the kids gets one line as well. Yeah, and um. And I mean, is it important? It is definitely not important what those kids look like. My God, that Heather looked not even remotely like Heather. The fact that they didn't have a little baby in that actor's bomber jacket in a scene earlier in the movie was a Oh, that was a big missed opportunity as well. Come on. A single manly tear would have run down my eye at that, no matter how hilariously similar to a British cake that the actor's name may have been. You know, he he could have been called Paul Fairy Cake for all I care, and I would have cried at that scene. Um, But, uh, yeah, the, the kids were more there just as tools to get to those emotional heights like not only is she dying of cancer but she's got children it's like okay okay, you stop laying this on so thick it's sad that this person is dying you don't need to but also like nothing about linda as a mother you know no, 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 no you get the actor saying she was a good mother at the very end because like um once linda dies the actor who plays paul gives a a, a, oh, like a little eulogy yeah oh he's like i love you linda you were you were you were a good mom and you had hair of different lengths goodbye everybody basically yeah. basically there's very little for me to get to get hooked into this movie where we, we said earlier it's very palatable it's inoffensive no one's going to find this movie distasteful or yeah. upsetting at all and right that, yeah that fulfills the objective i'm sure the producers yeah. and the executive producers particularly were very happy with that i'm sure there was someone on, on production going they just didn't go for my vision but alas that is hollywood so there you have it. That's the Linda McCarty story. Make sure, folks, that you tune into part two 
of our made-for-TV mythology episode for a review of the 1985 film John Yoko, in quotations, a love story, and our discussion of how that film stacks up against this one, if you can call either of them films. I'm just a sentimental turd. father was expecting a male. So was I. The city didn't want her. And maybe I belong in a different world. But the frontier needed her. Where I would finally be accepted as a doctor. Jane Seymour stars in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman today at 1 and 8 p.m. on Odyssey.